Welcome to another podcast by Dr. Dennis Smith, Senior Pastor of Covenant Life Ministries. To find out more, go to lifeandfocustv.com. You know, you just, you just can't beat God's way. You cannot get any better than God's way. God's plan. God's word. Now, man has tried to do that over the years. We devised our own plan, our own schemes. Always an attempt to improving what God has said or discounting what he said and choosing to go our own way. So, that's where the problem comes in. Because God's word is always true. God's word always works. And God's word is the best. It's the way to go. Now, in every area of our life. If we could just recognize that early in our lives, how much better off we'd be. That's why the enemy fights so hard against the word. That's, that's why uh, oftentimes Christians will get into a place of complacency and they struggle really getting the word inside of them because the enemy knows the difference that that'll make in their lives. Now, for instance, it's Father's Day, so our mind goes to family. Think about what God's word says about family. Think about his design, his plans for marriage, for parenting, for the whole family. We read about it throughout the scripture and especially we get some details in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. And yet there are those, there are those today who attack, who viciously attack God's plan for the family. We see it in some of the, the uh, political moves today. We see it in some of the liberal agendas today in trying to pervert and destroy the foundations of the home and the family. God's way is always the best and his word always works. I mean, it just, it's just that simple. Whenever we've maybe made a mess of things or missed it or gotten in trouble, it's been because we got away from God's word, God's way. And his word is not there to confine us or restrict us or enslave us. His word there is to set us free. His word is to bring blessing. His word brings blessing into our life. He wants us to take his word seriously. And we've been in the series, or we just started in a series. We'll go a couple more weeks in, I believe. I'm talking about the fact that you and I can learn to take God at his word. Taking God at his word. Now, we're going to take a moment uh, today to look at the importance of a father's words. But first, I want us to see that today's message, what, what I'm sharing really applies to all of us. Because when you talk about words, we all talk, we all use words, so it applies to every one of us. A person can speak uh, many words in a minute, and we speak several thousand words uh, in a day, several thousand. Of course, we always like to include the little statistic there that on the norm, in the normal cases, women use twice as many words as men. <laughs> now, I don't know who put those statistics together, but that, that's what they say. You know, we talk a lot, but sometimes we, we pay little attention to what we're saying. 
to the words we're using. Proverbs 20, verse 19, New Living Translations, uh, I think is pretty blunt. It says, too much talk leads to sin. Too much talk leads to sin. Be sensible and keep your mouth shut. Uh, I heard someone say that the reason a dog has so many friends is they wag their tail more than their tongue. Well, you know, um, maybe that's true. Words have tremendous power. The verse we normally think about, when we talk about the power of words, is in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21, the scripture says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. The message, paraphrase says, words kill, words give life. They're either poison or they're fruit. You choose. Death is in the power of the tongue, words. Life is in the power of the tongue, words. Words can tear down or words can encourage, edify, and give confidence. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 23, the Bible says, a right word spoken at the right time can actually change your life. A word that is fitly spoken. Spoken, right word, right time. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 18, the Bible says, Reckless or rash words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise does what? Brings healing. Words can hurt, words can heal. One of the primary, uh, I guess, references to the use of the tongue in words is found in the New Testament in the book of James. And there's a lot that's said about our language in the book of James. But I want to pick up in chapter 3, verse 2 through 5, New Living Translation. Verse 2 says, If we could control our tongues, we would be perfect and could also control our whole life, ourselves in every way. He says, you know, you take a large horse and you can direct that horse in any direction by means of a small bit that's in his mouth. You take a small rudder that can make even the large ship turn when the pilot chooses where the pilot chooses for it to go, even though the wind may be blowing strong against it. Small things, powerful impact. And he makes that comparison there in verse 5. He says, in the same way, in the same way, the tongue is a small thing that makes grand speeches but a tiny spark can set a great forest on fire. I mean, have you seen situations where something that someone said, maybe a rumor or a, um, some news that they shared, it spread like, we say it spread like wildfire. Words can do that. Spread like wildfire. But, you know, fire can be a good thing or a bad thing. The same fire that can keep you warm can burn down your house. And so it is with words. All of us probably have had words spoken to us over the years that have embedded themselves into us. Sometimes we, just, we don't even realize what an impact they've had on our life and maybe still have. Hurtful things that have been spoken to us. Things that we still carry about with us and oftentimes prevents us from I think the, the reality of, 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 of walking in, in freedom and in confidence because we've, we've been shaped by those words. 
You see, when words come out of our mouth, of our mouth, we hear them. And they go into our spirit, our soul. What you speak, you hear, and it becomes, in a sense, a part of you. What you speak goes into other people's ears. And it goes into them. And it affects them if they are listening, if they hear them at all. It, you know, it's just typical of, of how our words can affect our lives. You would get up one morning... And, you know, and before you, even, before you even think about it, you say something like, man, man, I really dread today. I wish today was over. It's going to be a hard one today. I'm going to have to do this. We rehearse those things in our mind, and we've already set the stage with our words We've taken ourselves to a certain place in how we're going to react to things, respond to things during that day. Probably negatively if we've been saying those things. Probably in a negative way. But if instead we would think about what we're saying when we get up, we may say, Lord, I thank you. And I have another day, a day to live. Lord, I want this day to count for you. There's some tough things ahead, Lord, today. But I'm convinced that you'll bring me through them, that you'll give me wisdom, you'll direct me, and this is going to be a good day, and I'm going to walk in your favor. You would be amazed at the different directions your words can take you. Because words are powerful. Words are strong. And, you know, <clears throat> we want to be well-informed. We want to be well-informed about what's going on in the world, what's going on in our nation. But if you listen to so much news and so much that's being said today, you'll find yourselves consumed with all the, so much trash and so many negative things. You consume yourself and it'll, it'll you know, uh, your blood pressure will go up and you, you, you'll begin to just sometimes just get discouraged and, and, and you don't need to be consumed by those negative words around you. Be informed, but don't let those words take over in your life. Some of the problems... Some of the bad attitudes that you and I maybe have in our lives can be directly linked to our words. Now look, we all have challenges in life. But we can make those challenges better or worse by our words, by how we talk about them. The Bible talks about the fact that you can be ensnared by your words. Ensnared means you are taken captive, you're trapped. And many people's lives are literally trapped by the words they use. Their words hold them back. Their words promote fear in their life. Uh, their, their, words, <clears throat> their, their words do something inside of them that, that causes them to lose sight of who they really are in Christ. Causes them to lose sight of, of the confidence, of the hope that they have in, in God. And they begin to look at their circumstances around them. And before long, they have limited themselves. They have ensnared themselves by the very words that they've spoken. You know, the devil doesn't know everything that's going on. He doesn't know what's going on in your mind. But he sure can get some, he can sure get some indication of that or some clues to that by watching us or by demonic influence, by watching us or by listening to the words that we say. Spiritual words can affect you spiritually. They can set you free or they can ensnare you. 
Now, words may not change every situation in your life, right? But they can change how you deal with those situations. When you and I understand the power of words and realize that we can choose what we think and what we speak, our lives can be transformed. Now, that's kind of a strong statement, the fact that we can choose what we think and choose what we say. But if you carefully study the scripture, we renew our mind in the word and we take captive every thought to the obedience of Christ. The Bible in the Bible beginning says, think on these things here. Don't think on these things. Think on these things. The the Bible would not, the word of God would not ask you to do something that he doesn't equip you to do. That you're incapable of doing with his help. So if he tells you that you can take control over your thoughts, you can. With his help, with his grace, by his spirit, you can. But it takes your effort, your involvement in it. You choose to either dwell on this or dwell on that. You can take your thoughts. You can, you can control what you say. Now, <clears throat> we understand that in, in, in wanting to do anything to, I, I think, to, to be obedient to God, and you want to do something that, to, to choose to do things God's way or you're convicted about doing something, that you've been doing something in your life and you want to correct it, You've got some habit or something going on. You're saying, I want to change that. I I, I know that that's not Christ-like and that's not pleasing to God. I want to change that. You have two ways to go with it in any decision like this. You've got a way to go by the law or go by grace. By the law, you begin to make yourself a little list and you begin to try harder every day to say the right things and not say the wrong things. You try every day to think on just positive things and not think on it. You try, you make up your mind every morning, <clears throat> you try to do it. I'm going to do it. But how many of you know that if it's left simply to your effort, my effort, of making up a bunch of rules that we're going to try to keep and follow, we're doomed to fail. Even though we may keep some of those things outwardly, well, no, the change is not really taking place on the inside. So <clears throat> when you see changes that need to happen in your life as a believer or follower of Christ, don't try to do it by the law, by a set of regulations and rules, or simply in your own effort. Choose to do it by the grace of God, knowing that God will enable you to overcome in that situation. God will enable you. You get in the word, get the words inside of you. God will enable you. God's grace and God's spirit will help you move in that direction. There's freedom in that way. In in serving God, it's always that way. If you go toward the law, toward religion, toward man's rules and regulations, there is death. There is boredom. There is failure. But if you choose to go in the way of grace and the spirit, there is life and there is freedom and there is productivity. Exclamation point. So very important. So very important. Words. Our words can transform us. Well, there are some death words. There are some death words in the Bible. When you study, the book of Proverbs is all about wisdom, right? Wisdom. And the book of Proverbs has so much to say about our words. And, and so when we look at death words, it might be, first of all, uh, lying is a death word. 
lies. Now, God hates lying, the scripture says. Satan is the father of lies. He's a liar and a father of lies. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. So lying. Another death word is strife. It words that create strife. James 3.16 says, For where envying and strife is, there's confusion every evil work. There are death words that we could just simply call gossip. <clears throat> Proverbs 16.28 says, A troublemaker plants seeds of strife. Gossip separates the best of friends. Proverbs 26.20 says, Fire goes out without wood and quarrels disappear when gossip stops. Death word. You know, I've always heard if someone will gossip to you, they will gossip about you. One other thing. Beware of spiritualizing gossip. Anybody know how to spiritualize gossip? Well, I don't want to say anything about them, but I'm just telling you this because I want us to pray for them. Don't excuse gossip by trying to turn it into a prayer request. And it happens. I've seen it happen over the years. So slander is a death word. The Bible says whoever spreads slander is a fool. James 4 says, brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. 1 Corinthians 15, 22 warns us, do not keep company with a slanderer. Death. Death words are, are words that break confidences. <clears throat> you know, we have people come to us from time to time to share something that's very personal. And they say, I don't want this. This is just between us. I want, I want you guys to hear me, and I'm, just, I'm not going to tell anyone else. I want you to hold this in confidence. We have, to, we have to be on guard against, we have to be on guard to not um, betray someone's confidence. When they share something with us is in confidence, that means you don't tell anyone else. That's very important to Deb and I. When someone comes to us and they share something and they say this is in confidence, then it's not going to come from our lips. Now, there are people who break confidence, though. You have to be, you have, there are people out there, you'll go just bare your heart to them. But the Bible calls them tail bearers. They reveal secrets. Proverbs eleven thirteen. A faithful spirit will conceal matters, but a tail bearer will reveal secrets. Betrays a confidence. We need trust. If you're going to share some deep things from your heart and personal things, you better, be, you better share them with someone that's trustworthy and keep confidence. Another death word or damaging words are contentious speech. Contentious speech. Contentious. Proverbs 21.9 says it's better. I just couldn't leave this verse out. I'm sorry, ladies. Just give me just a moment here. Proverbs 21.9 says it's better to live alone in the corner of an attic than with a contentious wife in a lovely home. I notice it's real quiet. Dad, I didn't get even an amen from guys. You must be scared. But <laughs> the writer of Proverbs from time to time will say how irritating it can be for someone to be contentious. But it's not only, it doesn't only happen with, with wives, that's for sure. Proverbs chapter 26, verse 21 says, a charcoal, as charcoal is to a burning coal, to burning coals, and wood to fire, so is a contentious man who kindles strife. Contentious, argumentative, quarrelsome. 
Then there are death words. Death words are just simply negative words. Words that are demeaning. Words that pair down, that hurt. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, we're, we're told something about life words, life-giving words. It says, <clears throat> let no corruption, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. But what's supposed to come out of your mouth? But that only that which is good for necessary edification, that it may do what? Impart grace to the hearers. We're supposed to speak life. Encourage people, build them up, bless them. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 11, the Bible says the words of the godly are a life-giving fountain. You know, words are like seed. And when we speak them, we're sowing them. We're planting them. And when it comes to parenting... And when it comes to, guys, when it comes to us who are our fathers, our words are like seed that are planted in the hearts and the lives of our sons and daughters. And they will produce something. They'll always produce. So I want to very quickly look at four things we need to understand about a father's words. A father's words. Number one, a father's words to his children should always be based, first of all, on a relationship. Some dads always have something to say to their children to correct them, but oftentimes they're just talking about them or at them instead of talking to them and with them. It starts with a relationship. You see, if we're going to speak Father's words, it starts with a relationship with Jesus. Author Sinclair Ferguson says, how we use our tongue provides clear evidence of where we are spiritually. So guys, if we're going to, if we're going to speak life-giving words, speak the right words into our children's lives, then it first must begin by us having a real relationship with Jesus Christ, a changed heart. Jesus said, out of the abundance of the heart, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. When we abide in Christ, his spirit flows, flows from our life and it affects our words. <clears throat> Father's words must be based upon relationship, first with Jesus Christ. Secondly, having a real relationship with your child, with your son, with your daughter. I think we may be shocked by how many dads there are that are not absentee dads. They actually are in the home and in some ways involved in their children's lives, but they have very little, a very, a very shallow relationship with their children. You see, this is important, folks. Words that are separated from relationship are ineffective. Now think about that. Words that are separated from relationship are ineffective. That's why if you're going to really speak into someone's life, it doesn't become real effective until you develop a trust or relationship with them. In fact, many times we must build that trust and relationship with someone before we can expect them to take time to listen to us. So 
Our words must be based on or flow from a relationship, which means taking time with your children, which means listening to them, which means being willing to spend time with them to get to know them. And if we're not careful, guys, and some of you still have children young enough to be at home and and that's wonderful. Some of you have very young children. Some of you, they're, growing, they're all growing up in a hurry. But the old adage that we heard all the time when our children were very little, the old adage that I heard all the time was, you better take time with them now and spend time with them now because they're going to be grown and gone before you know it. Well, I knew that was true. As a young father, I knew that was true. But it seemed like it was a long ways off. And so I didn't think about it as seriously as I should have or could have. I think ever caring dad would look back upon when their children are growing up and say, you know, if I could do that over again, I would make it a priority to, to develop a real relationship with them and spend time with them. I would. I'm proud of every one of my kids. Proud of them as they were growing up. Proud of them now as grown. They love the Lord. Grateful for every one of them. They're there not because they had a perfect dad, and they, they know that, and I certainly know that. I enjoyed being a dad. I love those kids. I love watching them grow up. But still at that, life gets so busy and priorities get confused. And before you know it, those years go by and you look back and say, well, I, I thought that these things were so important and I had to go here and go there and do this and do that. If I could go back, I would make them a greater priority in spending time with them. But not only spending time and building a relationship, but actually enjoying it. Enjoying it. When the kids were growing up, we enjoyed a lot of fun times together. Sometimes we didn't have any money to go do very much, but it's out the backyard or going to a park or going out and doing something or coming home to visit. Uh, grandparents we enjoyed doing a lot of things together but oftentimes uh, those really I see those could have been so much better so much better if I'd seized those times and kind of relished them or just let them soak in and watch and enjoy those little ones growing up rather than being too busy thinking about what's going to come next or what's there to, to actually listen. In some sense, the word, if you were to ask me, did I listen? Did I listen to my sons and daughters growing up? Yes, I'll listen to them. I think they would say the same thing. But oftentimes, I really wasn't listening to their heart and I didn't hear them in ways that I could have.
I regret that. But I can't go back and change that. I can't encourage them as parents to, hey, don't let these times slip by. Do that. And I can be thankful for the times that we had, and they were good. A lot of them, and they were good. But what I'm saying is, our father's words, that father's words to our children must be based upon a relationship, and we need to build a strong, real relationship with our children. How well do you know your sons and daughters? How well do you know your children? Are you willing to take time to know them? Are you willing to take time to maybe out from one of your own activities or hobbies or something just to spend with the kids? Are you, are you willing to set, change your priorities to build a relationship with them? All these things are important. Now, I don't want this, dads, I don't want you to hear this as being something that's like, you know, putting you down in any way because I'm not. I think for me, it's just recognizing the importance of these things and I want to be challenged by them. And look, just because your kids are grown, they're, 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 still, in, they're still in your life. You can still sow into their life right now where they are. And we want to do that. Build those relationships where you are. Have fun with your kids. Every one of them is different. Every one of them is unique. Build a relationship. The second thing, the father's words should be backed by example. It shouldn't just be your words or what you say, but it should be what you do. They should, your actions should line up with your words. They, we might preach to them our values, but the way they're going to understand and see our values is to watch how we live and what's important to us. They need to see us sometimes when we're maybe going through some tough times, some struggles, making decisions. They even need to, there even needs to be times when we admit that we made a mistake, we're not perfect. We're not perfect. They need to see us pray. We need to be quick to acknowledge and repent when we've We've spoken wrong words. We've made mistakes. You see, what children need is spiritual authenticity. That when they look at dad, they see a man that loves God, a man that is a follower of Christ, and a man who wants to keep the word and honor the word of God, and who will do his best to do that with the help of God. Spiritual authenticity. It doesn't mean you're perfect but being authentic, being real and following him. I know oftentimes in messages like this, it seems like dads that, you know, was just aiming and firing at you and, 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 and me and hitting us in the ears and say, man, this needs to change. You could do better here. But that's not the purpose of this message. You know, that's normally the way it goes. With Mother's Day, if you preach on a sermon relating to mothers, we're talking about the wonderful attributes of mom, how sweet and wonderful, and they are. And they are. But then when we get around to old dad, we're talking about he needs help. Well, the truth is we do need more help than they do. <laughs> we, do. <clears throat> we do need more help than they do. So back up your words by living the right example for them. Thirdly, we need to speak words that build up. Build up. Avoid laboring, labeling your child <clears throat> I've heard dads over the years, it's heartbreaking, call their kids names 
demeaning names. Beware the impact your words have on your children that could be a lifetime impact. Avoid yelling at them. You know, the only parenting skill, I call it skill using the word loosely, parenting skill some people have is to scream and yell at their kids. If you have to yell at your kids, you are not, you do not understand how to discipline them. Well, there might be some times when you have to raise your voice here and there. But some people's, their, their method of, of training their children is they will give them a command or instructions to do something. And then they will give it to them again. And then they'll give it to them again. And then they'll say, if I have to tell you again, you're going to get a spanking. Well, in most cases, that child will respond when you get loud enough and when you threaten enough. But if they learn to respond early, that this is what you expect, you expect respect, to honor your words. Hey, look, I know what it is to raise kids. And I know what it is to look at these beautiful pictures of you say, give a child a, a command or a word and here they are, yes, yes, father. Yes, mother. Yes, I will. I'd be glad to. I realize life, it, life ain't like that. Okay, I understand that. But what I'm saying is, what I'm saying here is important. Don't use your words in a way and yelling and screaming to try to get your child to do something because this is not the way it's to be done. It doesn't take that. They have learned that you, they, they have learned that you will go this far and when you get loud enough, that's when they listen. They need to learn to listen at the beginning. But be careful. Did you hear me? I, perhaps you didn't hear me the first time. Did you hear me? This is what you're to do. And then follow through. <clears throat> I, I think the biggest thing that parents face today and, and problems that we have with people parenting is consistency. The child doesn't know what to expect. One time they'll get punished for it, and next time they'll, they'll laugh at them for it. No consistency. Sometimes they're expected to do what you say, and other times they get by with it. There's no consistency. That's confusing, folks. That's confusing. So God shows us how we are to set love boundaries or boundaries to protect our children, the right kind of discipline in their life. <clears throat> it's extremely important. <clears throat> I've heard, <clears throat> I've actually heard dads call their uh, children, particularly call the young boys, and I'm, you're just clumsy. You know, you're, you're just clumsy. You're always messing up. You can't do anything right. Little do they know the damage that's, that's, that's taking place right there. And it will, those seeds will produce a harvest. It's usually not a good one. There's a story, <clears throat> I remember the story of a young man who was hired to work at the store, and it was his, his first job. He's still a young man. And... Uh, his store, the store owner, who was his, his employer, when they watched him work, the young man was working there, and he watched, he stood there, and he watched the young man work, and then he would see him the next day, and he, and he was amazed at how hard this young man was working. So one day, 
he shared with me, he said, I just want to tell you what a great job you've been doing. And all of a sudden, that young man just began to cry. Tears began to well up in his eyes. And his boss said, well, what, what's wrong? What's wrong? And the young man said, sir, that's the first time in my life that anyone told me that I did something good. A little bit of attention, <clears throat> a kind word can have a major impact, but most, sometimes guys, we're not really good at that department, but we can, we can improve. The right kind of discipline, not out of anger. I heard someone's <clears throat> response says, many parents try to be a friend to their children. <clears throat> My children already have enough friends. They need me to be a parent and show, to, to be a parent and show them right from wrong. I remember the story in the Old Testament of Eli's son. Eli was a priest. And on the surface, it would appear that, that look, this is a man of God. And he was. And yet, this is this, this scripture we find in, in actually in chapter 2 and chapter 3, in verse 12, chapter 2, it, it tells us about Eli's sons. Now, they were to be priests, they were functioning as priests. His sons were scoundrels. That's what the Bible says. Verse 12. His sons were scoundrels, worthless, dishonorable, unprincipled, who did not respect the Lord. That was a priest sons. It doesn't matter who you are or how many times you're in church or how good a person you are or anything. You know, if you don't step up to the plate and sow into that young person's life and provide the right kind of boundaries and discipline and instruction, it's going to end up bad. It ended up bad for his sons. And it actually brought a curse on the whole family, if you will. Verse 13, chapter 3 says, he says, I have warned him that judgment is coming on his family. Here's what it says. It says, he knew what was happening and he did not restrain or discipline them. We've got a responsibility. When we use our words to discipline, though, use them at the right time, in the right way, but don't leave it up to mama to take care of those things all the time. Don't shy away from it. Some guys just like to be on the sidelines. They are dads and they'll be there and crucial situations and they care about their dads but they don't have a daily relationship with them and they don't sow into their lives on a regular basis and they'd rather someone else really take the responsibility for them. It's true. I'm not saying that's true of you guys. I'm just saying it's true of a lot of dads. It, we have to be willing to step up to the plate. And then there's that little warning in Colossians chapter 3 verse 21 that says, Fathers, do not provoke or harass your children. Now, for any of the teenagers who might be here in this minute right now, just because your father corrects you or gives you instructions on something, and even if he, that, don't you turn around and say that the pastor said, oh, dad, pastor said, don't harass me. You're harassing me. <clears throat> Harass is a, is, is, is a, a continual, um, I, I think, a, a, a continual negative response or or. or or harping on that child in a way. It's just, it's a, it is, a, it's, it's doing it in such an antagonistic way that it provokes that child rather than 
simple words spoken the right way, expecting results. It's very important. There's a right way to do it, and there's a wrong way to do it. Four important things for dad to remember in his words. But the goal in disciplining a child, of course, is for them to grow up, be mature. It starts off a little bit when you're young, that, you know, and you're teaching your children. It takes time to teach them and give them directions for them to learn the difference between right and wrong. And a lot of times, some of us, in fact, grew up realizing that when children are very young, there's the fear motive in obeying. You either obey or else. I mean, I, it was a real motivating factor to me when I was growing up. I knew that if I didn't, there would be consequences. There's nothing wrong to a certain, there's nothing wrong with that. Sometimes there needs to be a little fear in that. Say, look, there's going to be consequences to your decisions. Discipline. Dear God, I wish we had more real discipline in homes and schools today. But, but in, in doing that, realize that your goal is, your goal is that they don't, lie, they don't act like they're four years old when they're 14, when they're 18, when they're 24. Your goal is to take them from there, which... Takes a little bit more time, planning, demonstrating, helping, putting a little fear in there. There's going to be consequences if you disobey and do that. Your goal is to get them to a place to where they obey, not because they're afraid, but because they respect authority. And they know that's the best way and because they love. You see, that's the way it is with our Father in heaven. Our motive for obeying him shouldn't be because we're afraid of him, although we have godly reverence for him. Our motive for obeying him is because we respect him and honor him and we love him. Listen, you, don't, you and I don't benefit uh, the way that we, sometimes we don't benefit in serving the Lord because we're doing it out of the, of, in, in less than the best attitude. And that is, Lord, I want to serve you because I love you, not because anybody expects it of me. Not because I feel obligated, but because I want to honor you and please you. That's what you want. Your children to grow up when they're grown, and they want, to, they want to listen to dad and mom because they respect you. They know you love them, and you love, they know you love them, and they love you. So dads encourage, be positive, reinforcement. And the very final thing, <clears throat> the fourth thing is a father's words should bless. Bless your children blessings. The Old Testament over and over again talks about some of the patriarchs that particularly when the father came to a place of his, his soon to be, uh, his life to soon come to an end, that he would call his children before him, particularly his sons in that culture, and would speak a blessing over them. <clears throat> now you don't have to wait till you're dying to speak a blessing over your children. It should begin very young because what you speak over your children will bring about results and things in their life. All the time I hear people talk about their toddlers or preschoolers and say, oh, they're just a holy terror. This is my little monster. I, you know, well, they hear that. So they, maybe they think that's what you expect of them. I can't get them to do anything. Listen, it's not only what you speak to your children, but it's what you what they hear you say about them. Bless them. 
Bless them when they're young. Bless them when they're growing up. How do you bless them? Well, you bless them by taking time with them. You're blessing by, by, by putting your arm around them, touching them in the appropriate manner. Generations, pe people are different. We're made different. As I mentioned before, our, our, our family, I grew up not as a hugging family. I know other families that they just kiss on one another all the time. They're comfortable with that. That's good for them. That's fine. I wasn't brought up that way. I, I remember my dad's hand being on, on my shoulder from time to time. And as he grew older, I remember I know his embrace. But when I was growing up as a young man, he was my dad. And I knew he loved me. But there wasn't a whole lot of affection shown because he wasn't shown that affection because that just wasn't the way it was. That was, that was, that was the way, that's Okay. But I think maybe now it would be good for us to understand how important a hug can be. When you speak words of blessing on them, put an arm on their shoulder or hug them, speak into their lives. Make declarations over them. Because your words can help direct their future. It's absolutely true. Do you realize that when Gideon, the story of Gideon says that he was he was down in the wine press threshing wheat. <clears throat> now, why was he down inside a wine press threshing wheat? That's not where you normally thresh wheat. It's because their enemy, the Midianites, every time that they would get the wheat ready, their enemy would come take it away. So they had to hide. Let's thresh this wheat over here so our enemy won't come take it. And that's where he was. And he was doing that when the angel of the Lord, which oftentimes when the scripture uses the term the angel of the Lord, it's a pre-incarnate visit to Christ. <clears throat> but it said that the angel of the Lord came up to him and said, O mighty man of valor or hero, mighty warrior. Now wait just a minute. This is a guy that's hiding in a wine press. And yet <clears throat> the Lord says, you're a mighty man of valor. You're brave. You're strong. You're going to overcome. You're going to go forth in victory because I'm with you. Speak those kinds of blessings over your children. Pray over them. It's based on relationship. Follow it by Backing it up with your example. <clears throat> Build them up and encourage them. Don't tear them down. And finally, intentionally, regularly, bless your children. Let them hear you say it. You, say, you know, you can say it sometimes when they're not around you. You just, Lord, bless them. Bless my children. Our children are grown. Grandkids. And some of them are nearly grown. Some of them are grown. Daily, when we pray, daily, sometimes more than once, oftentimes two or three times, we say, Lord, bless our children. We speak blessings on our children, on our grandchildren, for you to work in their lives, for you to bring about your purpose in their lives. Speak blessings over them and expect God to do great things.